scripture reading is from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, for the sake of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father, and Christ Jesus our Lord. I am grateful to God, whom I worship with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did. When I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day, recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So a little while ago, I heard this fascinating program about a woman named Amanda. This woman, Amanda, has, has lived a very unusual life. She was three years old when she first realized that there was something different about her. When she was three years old, Amanda was at a, a friend's birthday party. And at some point in the party, she watched as someone walked up to her friend and gave her friend a hug. And in that moment, she said, the, the strangest thing happened. She said, as I watched my friend receiving this hug, I had the, the strange sensation of invisible arms also wrapping around me. She said, I had this feeling of warmth that went up and down my spine. I felt as if I, I was the one who was getting a hug in that moment. And she said, a few minutes later, somebody else went up to my friend and, and gave him a hug. And she said, it happened again. I felt as if, as if those arms were also wrapped around me. It was such a, a nice feeling, she said, that for the whole rest of the party, she just followed her friend around, hoping that somebody would give him a hug. And every time somebody gave her friend a hug, she also felt as if she were receiving a hug. It was at the age of three that Amanda realized she had this, this unusual ability to feel what the people around her were feeling, to experience what the people around her were experiencing. And as she got older through her school years, this, this ability, this feeling, it didn't fade away. It continued. She learned that she had to be very careful about where she sat in the classroom at school. She learned that if she sat next to the fidgety kids, she started feeling fidgety and restless herself. She learned that if she sat next to the anxious kids, she started to feel anxious and worried herself. She learned that she needed to, to sit herself next to the quiet kids and focus on the calm kids in class, especially, especially on test days. And this ability that she had, these experiences, they continued on into adulthood. She said she has this, this very vivid memory of a day when she was at the grocery store and she saw a boy slip and he fell and he banged his head on the floor and she said the moment his head hit the floor, she also fell to the ground with a, a pounding pain in her head. She tried to get up and go to the boy to help him, but the pain in her own head was so overwhelming that she couldn't even rise to her feet. The, the people closest to Amanda knew that that she was having these experiences. She, she told them about this thing that happened to her, but, but she didn't talk to most people about it. She was afraid that people would think that she was weird, 
She was afraid that people would think that she was imagining all of these things, that she was making it all up, and so she kept it quiet for most of her life. And then one day, one day when she was in her 30s, one day she got a call from a friend. And her friend said, turn on the TV. There's a a television program that you need to be watching right now. And so Amanda turned on the TV, and she she flipped it to the channel that her friend was watching. There was a a TV show about neuroscience. There was a scientist talking about the the human brain. And the scientist was explaining that the scientist had just made this discovery of a new type of cell, a new type of neuron in the human brain. They're calling these cells mirror mirror neurons. And mirror neurons have a, a very specific purpose. They do important work in our brains. Mirror neurons are cells in our brains that are constantly trying to figure out what the people around us are feeling, what the people around us are experiencing, what the people around us are up to. And you can see why this is an important job, right? It's important to know if the person who's walking towards you is angry or happy. It's important to know if the person reaching out towards you is about to give you a hug or punch you in the nose. Mirror neurons are the part of your brain that that figure out the difference between those emotions and figure out what people are up to. And they do it in a very particular way particular way, mirror neurons help you understand what the people around you are feeling and experiencing and doing by giving you a taste of everything you see the people around you feeling and experiencing and doing. They reflect the emotions and experiences of all of the people around you in the world. They, they give you just a little bit of the taste of what other people are going through. And this happens even in this place. You have mirror neurons in your brain that are, are doing this work right now, even as you're sitting here in worship. Your neurons work hard on a Sunday morning. I'll give you an example of, of how this works. Last week, I, I had some back pain. I'd been out all Saturday picking up trash around the neighborhood, and, and then I sat in the bleachers at a soccer game on, on Saturday night, and, and Sunday morning, I got here, and my back was, was really, was just aching. And, and every time I stood up last Sunday morning, I made that face, that face that people make when they got pain in their back, and then they stand up. I, I did this thing, right? And do you know what I saw every time I stood up in, in worship last Sunday, every time I stood up and looked out at the pews. I saw dozens of you making that same face, making that, doing that same grimace as if the pain in my back was also, was also in your back. That was your mirror neurons giving you just a little bit of the taste of, of the pain that I was experiencing. Pastor Christie and I know that, that this is how it works, and so we have to be very careful about what we do when we're standing down here in front on Sunday. Pastor Christie and I have learned that if we've got an itchy ear or an itchy nose, we can't scratch it while we're standing up here. We need to, we need to resist the temptation because we know that the minute we start doing this, we're going to look out here and we're going to see 150 people who are suddenly scratching mysterious itches, not knowing, not knowing where they came from. And of course, the one thing that a pastor cannot do on Sunday morning while we're standing up here in front of, in front of all of you is there it is there it is right is is yawn right because because when we yawn suddenly a wave of yawns sweeps through the congregation it's inevitable you can't help it why is that why are yawns contagious there's no physical reason there's no earthly reason that a yawn should be contagious and yet when we see somebody yawn we can't help but but have this urge to yawn ourselves why is it that's because our mirror neurons are putting ourselves in the shoes of the people around us giving us a taste of their 
experiences all our lives. This is a, a normal thing that everybody's brain does. All of us have these cells in our brains. But for some people, for about 1% or 2% of the population, those, the volume on those mirror neurons is turned up so high that they have a hard time uh, discerning where other people's experiences start and their own experiences end. For some people, those, those mirror neurons are so hyperactive that they actually literally feel not just a taste, but all the whole of what other people around them are feeling and sensing and experiencing. It was finally when she was in her 30s that Amanda discovered that, that she, she wasn't imagining these things, she wasn't making it all up, but instead it was just her brain was doing what all of our brains do. Just her brain was doing it a little bit too well. And I love this story. I love, I have to tell you, I love the idea that all of us have cells in our brains that are constantly working to put us in the shoes and share in the experiences of people around us. I believe that these mirror neurons scientists have discovered are just one more clue that tell us something about the God who designed our brains, the God who designed our bodies, the God who designed all living things and all of creation. Do you remember what Jesus said the day a man asked him, teacher, tell us which is the first and greatest commandment? Do you remember what Jesus said? He said, the first and greatest commandment is this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then Jesus said, there's another commandment that is just as important, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. These mirror neurons tell us that God has not just given us the commandment to love our neighbor as we love ourselves in stone tablets. God hasn't just written that commandment in a book somewhere. God has written that commandment into the very cells that you and I are made of. God has designed us in such a way that when we we cause other people pain, we ourselves experience some of that pain. God has designed us in such a way that when we bring joy to other people, we share in that joy. God has designed us in such a way that we literally do unto ourselves whatever we do unto other people. Our lives are woven together so that other people's joy and happiness and sadness and faith become our joy and sadness and happiness and faith. God has woven our lives together in such a way that inevitably, eventually, we end up becoming a reflection of all of the people who are close to us in this world. And that's what happened to this young man, Timothy. So in this morning's scripture reading, we have a little piece of a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to this young man, Timothy. We know a little bit about, about Timothy's life. You know, like, like many young people, Timothy grew up in a spiritually mixed household. You know, Timothy's mother was a, a believer in Jesus. She was a faithful Christian. She was an every Sunday morning worship attender. She was somebody who lived, slept, ate her faith. She, she was constantly, constantly figuring out how to align her life with the love of God in this world. She was a deep and devout Christian, but she met this guy. She met this guy who wasn't a believer in Jesus. He had grown up pagan, and then he'd sort of walked away even from that religious faith. He didn't have any, any belief in God in particular. He wasn't somebody who cared about all of this God stuff. And for whatever reason, the two of them fell in love. And they got married, and they started a family. They had a son. They named him Timothy. They made it work. They figured out how to make their marriage, their life together work. They figured out how to see eye to eye on almost everything. They figured out how to see eye to eye on everything except for all of this God stuff. 
Every Sunday morning, Timothy's mom, Eunice, would get ready to go to worship. Every Sunday morning, she would invite her husband to come to worship with her. And every Sunday morning, he would roll his eyes, and then he would roll over in bed. Timothy's father thought that all of this God stuff was, was a waste of time. Timothy's father thought that, that all of this God stuff was just, was just silly. He resented the time that his wife spent at the church. He resented all the money she kept giving to widows and orphans. He thought that money would be better spent on a new lawnmower a family vacation. Timothy's, Timothy's dad didn't have any time for all of this God stuff. And so Timothy grew up in the middle of this conflict, in the middle of this tension, every Sunday morning being pulled in two different directions. And here's the thing. As a pastor who's been around for a while now, I've seen a lot of families like this, and I know how this story usually ends. Years of pastoring experience tell me that in families like this, where mom goes to church every Sunday and dad doesn't care for it, we know that almost every time the kids are going to follow after dad. Almost every time kids are going to follow in dad's footsteps. There was a study a few years ago. I know this is Mother's Day, but I want to talk just for a moment to the dads and the grandpas in the room just for a moment. There was a study a few years ago that looked at families and religious faith, and they discovered that in families where mom is an every Sunday worship attender, but dad doesn't go to church at all, in 98 out of 100 of those instances, the kids end up not being churchgoers when they grow up. In 98 out of 100 instances, the kids walk away from faith. They don't inherit the faith of their mom. They walk away. They walk away from faith in the footsteps of their dads. But when the opposite is true, when dad is an every Sunday worship attender, those kids grow up two-thirds to three-quarters of the time also being worshipers as adults, also having their own faith as adults, regardless of what mom does. Nobody knows why this is. This is just a fact of human existence that has been true for thousands of years. For whatever reason, dads are the ones who set the spiritual tone for the household. Almost every time, kids are going to follow in dad's footsteps where faith is concerned. And so we know, right, we know how Timothy's story is probably going to end. We know that he's eventually going to stop going with his mom on Sunday morning. He's going to stay home and watch Sports Center with his dad. He's going to putter around in the garage with his dad. He's going to learn to mow the lawn with his, his dad. We know how this story is supposed to end. And yet, the very first time the Apostle Paul visited Timothy's hometown, the very first time he met this young man, Timothy, Paul and Timothy discovered a young man who was deeply and sincerely faithful. He found a young man who was full of the Holy Spirit. He found a young man who was actively serving, who was generously giving, who was walking in the footsteps of Jesus. How did that happen? How is it that Timothy, this young man, ended up with the faith of his mother and not, not the sleeping in on Sunday of his father? The answer is in this piece of this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote and we read just a moment ago. So Paul and Timothy became very close friends. They even traveled together. They did ministry together. When they were apart, Paul would write letters to Timothy. We have two of the letters that Paul wrote to his young friend Timothy, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy in the, the New Testament of the Bible. And at the very beginning of the second letter that the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, he says this to Timothy. He says, I give God thanks every day for you. He says, I think of you every day, and when I think of you, I think of the things that we did together, the times that we had, the work that we did together. I think of how hard it was for us to say goodbye the last time we, we separated and went our separate ways. Paul says, and above all, more than anything else, when I get down on my knees each day, I give God thanks for the deep and sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and then lived in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure lives in you. This, this is what happened to 
Timothy, here's what made all the difference in his life. He had a faithful grandmother. Grandma Lois made all the difference for Timothy. We don't know much about Grandma Lois. This is the only time her name shows up in the whole of the Bible. This is the only time in all of human history that anybody bothered to write her name down. But just from this one mention of Grandma Lois, we can connect the dots and figure out what happened in Timothy's life. Timothy got out of bed every day and walked down to the kitchen, and every day he found Grandma Lois at the breakfast table reading the Bible and praying and doing her devotions. And when Grandma Lois went to volunteer at the food pantry, she brought Timothy with her. And as they were putting food on the shelves at the food pantry, Grandma Lois explained to Timothy, every time we put food in the mouth of a hungry person, it's as if we are feeding God in disguise. Day after day, Grandma Lois lived her faith in front of Timothy. Day after day, Timothy saw that faith living in his grandmother. Day after day, his mirror neurons reflected the faith of Grandma Lois until eventually, finally, one day, the faith that was living in Grandma Lois came to live came to live in Timothy. Timothy became a leader, a mover, an organizer, an apostle of the early church, all because, all because of his Grandma Lois. His life could have gone in two very different directions. Grandma Lois, living her faith in a visible way, made all the difference. And that brings me to the question I want to ask today. I want to leave you today with this question, and just for the next moment, I'm talking specifically to everybody here in the church today who has a relationship with a child or a young person. I'm talking to the teachers, I'm talking to the moms, I'm talking to the grandmoms, I'm talking to the, the church grandparents, all of you today who have some sort of a relationship with a child or a young person. The question I want to ask you today is this, when that young person looks at you, what do they see? What are you giving them to reflect in their own lives? Are you living in such a way that they see joy, peace, gentleness, God's love in human flesh when they look at you? The question I want to ask you today is very simply this. Could you today get down on your knees and honestly pray, Dear God, please let this young person become a reflection of my own life. Because eventually, inevitably, by the grace of God, for better or worse, they will. Let's pray. God, we pray. God, we pray that you would make us mindful of this power that you have given us. The power to shape the people around us by shaping our own souls. God, we pray that you would give us courage not to hide our faith under a bushel basket, but to let our light shine in the lives of the people who we love. God, we pray that every day we would come to reflect you more. We pray that you would make us wise, that our eyes would be on your son, Jesus, that every day we would come to live more and more like him. And God, we pray that the people around us would begin to share in our faith, that the people around us would become more and more like Jesus because we are becoming more and more like Jesus. God, we pray that we would become a reflection of you, that those around us might become a reflection of our faith. In Jesus, we pray. Amen.